In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. So I want us to go back in time a little bit, if we can, to a time when we went to dinner parties and social events, when we ate dinner together and stayed up late and sat at big tables with lots of people, when we debated and laughed together and lit fires and spent time into the evening together. I want you to bask in the glow of that for a second. That's not really where I'm headed with the sermon, but I need you to be in one of those rooms and at one of those tables to understand where I'm headed. Now, if you're there, you're at one of those gatherings having a perfectly good time. You've gone maybe with your spouse or your sibling or your child or your parent or even a very good friend. And so far, it's just been great. But then someone brings up one of those sensitive subjects that we all know we're not supposed to talk about or something maybe even fairly innocuous that your companion, whoever it is, knows a lot about. And all of a sudden, the conversation and the whole sort of tenor in the room takes a turn. And your brother, and I'm just picking someone here for the sake of the story, your brother is now expressing in very detailed, very unpopular opinion about something and sort of waxing on about it for a very long time. And you try to shift the conversation gently. Once or twice, you try to jump in, to cut in, to change the subject, but it's to no avail because he is just off to the races. And you can see that everyone else around you is starting to get uncomfortable. At first, maybe it was sort of amusing and kind of funny. They rolled their eyes, they exchanged glances, but now, now they're shifting in their seats. They're looking down at their plates, they're fiddling with their car keys and trying to figure out how they can get out of this room. And still, he has no idea. He's completely oblivious to the fact that people are uncomfortable. And, and if he isn't oblivious, then he doesn't care. And so he's just on this tear explaining his stance on whatever the issue is. Now, if you're like me, you would at this point have that sort of, there's going to be an accident and I can't look away feeling of anxiety in your stomach. And finally, because that sort of rises and it feels so awkward, you just can't help yourself. And somehow this time, very obviously, you insert yourself and stop the conversation. Maybe you have to tell him to stop. Maybe you have to pull him aside. Maybe you have to say, this isn't the time or the place. And no matter how you do that, it doesn't go well, does it? This is more or less what Peter is experiencing in the gospel this morning. He is listening to Jesus, his friend, his teacher, his master, his brother, say all these things that are making everyone else uncomfortable, more than uncomfortable, actually. They're blasphemous things that he's saying, if you don't believe that they're true. He's claiming to be someone special. He's taking on the whole structure of the day, the whole structure of their religion and their faith and their covenant together as a people. He's taking on the religious elites and he's criticizing those in power and suggesting that those who are perceived to be faithful actually aren't. He's claiming for himself a special place in the story and saying that he's someone who will fulfill these prophecies that are ancient and important at the, and at the core of their faith. He sounds radical, unsuitable, over the top, like a zealot or maybe even a madman. And his opinions aren't just unpopular, they're dangerous. They could hurt him and all of his followers. And Peter, like you at that dinner table, just wants it to stop. 
for everyone's sake, for sure, but also for his, for Jesus's sake. And it feels probably to Peter like this is out of love. Peter cannot believe that what he's saying is true or that he would say this all out loud, or as the text says, he's saying it quite openly. So it's worse than your dinner party because he's saying this to a crowd of people out in public and best cases, Peter is worried. Worst case is Peter is embarrassed. And it's not really all about love, the pulling aside, the wanting him to stop. In this case, then, it's about shame. Even though Peter has seen Jesus transfigured, even though he has just confessed him as Messiah, the one coming into the world, Peter is still remarkably, perfectly, and imperfectly human. He's worried about what other people will think about him. He's worried about whether his friend is going to get him in trouble. Is he this radical, his friend, this illogical, this out of his senses, this out of touch with reality? And if it's true, well, then maybe he could at least have the courtesy just to say it in private for now. I can imagine Peter easily, so easily, just sort of sidling up to Jesus in the middle of this and trying to steer him away and saying something like, Lord, you don't really mean that, right? That's not really what you mean to say, because let me tell you what I'm hearing, because I don't think it's what you mean. I mean, if it is what you mean, it's, it's all just a little bit too much, Jesus. So um, it, could, it could get you killed. It could get all of us killed. And it, honestly, it just makes us sound kind of bad, kind of crazy. So maybe you could just sort of tone it down a little bit, or maybe we could just talk about these things in private instead of in public. Maybe you could try to be just a little less radical, Jesus. Would that be all right? Now, before we sit in judgment of Peter, because that is the temptation of the text, and frankly, it's the temptation in Scripture almost every time we come across Peter, almost every time we come across Peter until the resurrection. It's, it's the temptation for us to sort of look down at Peter and throw stones and judge him. But my friends, that's not why we're here, because we are all Peter. Look away from the temptation of the text to the invitation of the text, which is to understand that each one of us has Peter inside us, sometimes more, sometimes less. And if we're honest, if we listen to Jesus now, today, ourselves with our own eyes and ears and brains and minds, if we take seriously what he says in scripture, there's no way for us to not have similar moments, similar thoughts. Jesus, is that really what you mean? <laughs> because honestly, that sounds kind of harsh and wild and radical. None of us can look at these texts and never cross that feeling. If you look at them honestly, you have to eventually come to contend with what the text says. And we live in a world that forces us to make choices and live in particular ways. And, and the text is, is difficult. It, it judges the world that we live in. So if you live in or around Wilton in a house with a car or two or three, if you have stability and comfort, if you have any kind of possession at all, any extra money in your bank account, any extra food in your cupboard, if you have any kind of privilege or power or status, if you have ever sinned or made a mistake, if you've ever needed forgiveness for anything, if you have ever gotten anything wrong, the text has something to say to you. And sometimes it's really hard to hear. So you can see where I'm headed, maybe. This thing, this text that we call the gospel and the larger body that we call the Bible, all of those books put together for our learning. 
it convicts us all. It has to. Because the path to which Jesus calls us all is not easy, and none of us has got it down. None of us gets it right all the time. That's the whole point. All of us have challenges, and all of us, if we are confronted with Jesus right now, if we listened to him talk about his vision of justice and restoration and peace and love and the kind of equality that we're intended to build in this world, the kind of sacrifices we're supposed to make for each other, I promise all of us would find him shockingly radical. And like Peter, we might want to sort of pull him aside and check that with him. But that is because we are focused on the wrong things. The text says Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him, like the brother who confessed the unpopular opinion at dinner or the wrong political opinion or the ridiculous academic theory, whatever it was that you imagined in your head in that opening scene. And honestly, I can see this whole scene in my head. I'm not going to tell you who it is that was pulled aside, but I can see the whole scene in my head. We're at my aunt's house, and whoever it is that has been rebuked has been taken out of the dining room, around the corner, into the library, and they're standing there whispering between the books and the keyboard. And you know if you've ever been a part of a scene like this, or, or even if you've sort of watched a scene like this from afar, that there is some sadness and shame in this moment, right? The night never quite recovers. It never quite goes back to the way it was. And maybe the brother or whoever it was in your scene doesn't say very much for the rest of the night. Everyone knows there's been some kind of rupture. It's not quite how it goes with Jesus. Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Jesus turns and rebukes Peter right back harshly. This is the traditional get thee behind me, Satan. And here's the sin, according to the text. You are setting your mind on human things, on what people think, on what might get you killed, on what looks good and what doesn't. Some of that's more understandable than others. But Jesus is saying you are not focusing on divine things. Like, do you want to take up your cross? Do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to be in relationship with Jesus and know the gift of peace, of fulfillment, of eternal life? All of us fall into this trap. We live in a world, frankly, that is full of human things. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? And the divine things, well, sometimes, maybe especially in this season of distance, they feel like they're few and far between, don't they? Like we have to go hunting for them. And, and even when we do, we don't always quite find what we're looking for. But the invitation of this passage is to see the Peter within us, to know the temptation, to recognize the places where we are focused on the wrong things, to acknowledge that we are still on a journey with Jesus and that we cannot match him yet. Love for love, radical for radical. We just can't. We're working on it, but we're only human and we are still on a journey. And so that ultimately is the invitation of the season of Lent to shift our focus lovingly, peacefully, even gently as we find ourselves in the midst of a difficult, longer pandemic season than any of us wanted. But we still have the opportunity in this season to focus on what really matters, to recognize that we focus too much on human things, on what we have and what people think, when the path is actually right there in front of us. And part of the reason we do that, of course, is that the human things 
well, they're a lot easier to focus on than what Jesus is calling us to do. Let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me, he says. For those who save their life, and he means their human life, depending on human things, interested in human things, those who save that life will lose their eternal life. And those who lose their life, meaning lose their human life, for the sake of the gospel, will find real life and gain eternal life, real relationship, real fulfillment, real peace. It's not an easy thing to do, and it's a choice that we have to make throughout our lives over and over and over again, sometimes over and over in a single day. And yet, in the season of Lent, this is exactly what we are called to do, to take up our cross and follow him. So, in these weeks ahead, I hope that you will confront the text. Do not be ashamed or embarrassed by this radical love, by the extravagant way Jesus lays down his life for you and calls you to lay down your life for others. Don't be ashamed when it sounds radical to your ears, because it should. But also don't let that deter you. Let this radical, loving Savior open your heart and stretch your mind further than you thought was possible. Stop holding on so tightly. Be stretched and changed. The good news for Peter is that even though there are a lot of bumps in the road along the way, and we know how his story ends, he gets it wrong time after time after time after time, and then suddenly he gets it right. And he finds himself, probably much to his surprise, when we read about him in the book of Acts, to sound a lot like Jesus, to be oddly just as radical, on the road to being just as loving, striving to be just as wild as Jesus. This, my friends, is ultimately the call of the Lenten season and the call of this text. So do not be ashamed. Instead, follow him into the wilderness and learn to be wild like him, to make sacrifices, to love extravagantly. And you might find along the way that if you're doing it right, you are the one who's been pulled into the library to be rebuked between the books and the keyboard, to be scolded, and my friends, wouldn't that, for the sake of love, be a great problem to have? Amen.